that Jesus really is the Messiah, whose mission was to bring the kingdom of God to the world, that we are all part of building that kingdom. Therefore, his gospel ends with a clear sense that there is something more to do, that it's not just say, okay, nice read, you're on your own now. There's more to do. Another chapter needs to be written, and another chapter after that, that the this was just the beginning of the story, and the story is continuing to be written. So Matthew ends his gospel with, with what is often called the Great Commission, the mission to make disciples of all nations. From a small band of followers, Christianity would spread throughout the world. And the disciples that be, began a mission that we are part of fulfilling today. So it's an important final charge given by Jesus to those who believe in him. Um, so as we look at today's scripture, I'd like you to just underline all the time you see the word all. Okay? So it's verses 16 through 20, Matthew 28. Go ahead and read that and just highlight or underline all the times you see the word all. When you see the word all, what comes to your mind? Everything. Not just some things. Um, Jesus didn't say, I have some authority. He didn't say, go to certain nations or some nations. He didn't say, teaching them certain things, or only the things that they want to hear. And he didn't say, and I, by the way, I'll be with you occasionally. All. All. Father, uh, many of us come to this passage having read it and studied it and heard it and taught it or preached it dozens of times or even hundreds of times. It seems like for almost every mission conference that churches have, this is the, the scripture that they use. But enable us to look at this word, this passage, these verses with fresh eyes. That you speak to us in a fresh way. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew clearly wants us to see that Christ calls his disciples to a global mission. That what he's telling us that his word is for everyone. And verse 16 tells us that the disciples went to a mountain in Galilee as they were instructed by Jesus. Now the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And then if you look at the beginning of verse 17, you see the disciples' response. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. When they see Jesus, they instinctively worship. And worship here, Matthew meant that not only did they 
raised their hands and saying, they fell to their knees and prostrated themselves before Jesus. They worshiped Jesus with all of their being in loving and humble adoration. And these folks are good, intelligent, well-versed in the scripture, Orthodox Jews. And the one thing a good, well-educated, Orthodox Jew would never do was worship something that wasn't God. So the fact that they are there worshiping, falling down, is their, their acknowledgement that, yes, Jesus is God. Because you only worship one true God, you worship nothing else. It was their first commandment, and it was their last commandment. Um, and there are many things that the church today is not certain about, and they argue about a lot of things. But one thing that you cannot deny is the deity of Jesus Christ. And he has to be at the center of everything. He's at the center of the Gospels. He has to be the center of life. Don't make him anything less than that. It just won't work. And so Matthew leaves us with this picture which testifies to the deity of Christ. But then there's this little sentence that is tossed into the middle of this that if you were writing this, you probably wouldn't put it in. If I was writing, I wouldn't put it in. And it says, but some were doubtful. Now, he's just talking about all this has gone on. They're coming from the mountain. They're listening to Jesus. And then there's sort of this aside. But yet, some were still doubtful. Now, why does Matthew tell us that? You know, all kinds of reasons. But I'm telling you, one of the reasons is because it's true. And sometimes we in the Christian church don't want to acknowledge that which is true because it doesn't seem holy enough. So a person may say, you know, I'm going through doubts. But we don't want to acknowledge that we're going through doubts because it doesn't seem spiritual enough. But here the disciples are, and Jesus says they're worshiping him and that they're doubting. Now I find it interesting that the last two things that Matthew leaves us with, with the disciples, is worshiping and doubting. You know, it's not like, and they were victorious, they never had a question again, they were on fire, they never doubted. No, it's, they worshipped and at the same time they doubted. They believed, they'll help me in my unbelief. Um, now, he would have never made something like this up. The idea of falsifying the claims of Jesus Christ would have never come into their mind. This is a modern idea. You don't find it in the scripture, you only find it in today's literature. Because in the scripture, there is no fake news. It's all true. Um, and so there's nothing like this. And so Matthew is telling us, in order to indicate the weakness of his own disciples, that even they are confronted with something that is so amazing that they even question it. Um, they're doubtful. They continue to struggle in their quest to believe and understand. And it won't be until the day of Pentecost, when they receive the Holy Spirit, that this doubt is removed. Which reminds us that until we truly open our hearts and our minds to the fullness of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is what removes us from doubt. 
It's his word that removes us from doubt. It's the Holy Spirit combined with God's word and his promises that helps us to remove doubt. And it reminds us that the commission which Jesus gives us in this passage cannot be done without the Holy Spirit, without the strength of the Spirit. I so appreciated Vince's sermon last week because he talked about the fact that people will do good things, but it's the character of Christ. It's the character being developed in us by the Holy Spirit that enables us to truly transcend racial barriers, economic barriers, social barriers, cultural barriers, and be the people of God that he wants us to be. Um, So again, it's interesting. The last two actions of the disciples that Matthew pictures are worship and doubt. And that should speak volume to us. Because we may think that we're the first generation to struggle with doubt. And Matthew is simply saying, look, I'm 2,000 years ahead of you. You think this is new stuff for you? You're 50 generations behind. Every generation has struggled with questions of doubt. Um, And then it's also a a passage that speaks very directly to our day and time, but it also speaks about our worship. Worship is clearly for Matthew at the very core of discipleship. That you really can't be a disciple of Christ without a sense of worship. Because without worship, you're still holding on to self. And either you're going to be worshiping God or you're going to be worshiping something else. And it's when we worship God that we're saying, okay, now I want you to change me. Um, So to be a disciple is first and foremost an act of worship to God. Um, and worship God with every being, every part of our being, every fiber of our being. And that description that he gives us here, again, is falling down, face forward, falling down before God. And that is both moving and at the same time disturbing. Because in the United States, I don't know if Christians worship that way. Um, And it made me think in my own mind, do I really worship? Do I really worship? Uh, I mean, I've heard great music. On Sunday morning before I come to church, we listen to gospel, not gospel, but classic hymns. Uh, We listen to contemporary hymns. And it's, it's just such a, for a time of worship. And I've heard great messages. I heard a great message last week. I've heard messages from others. I listen to sermons. I love listening to Tony Evans. I hear great sermons. Um, but then, I, and I've heard great prayers from different people. But then I started to think, well, do I really worship on my own? Or do I have to come to church to have somebody worship for me. And then I can sit in and be a part of it. I can be a passenger instead of a driver. And when I'm a driver, I'm worshiping on my own. When I'm a passenger, I just come and I let everybody else worship and I just get to go along for the ride. Um, 
And I think that's a question that I have to constantly be asking myself. Am I really worshiping? Am I driving this worship? Or am I just a passenger because I like what's going on around me? And it is interesting how many people will pick churches based on what they interpret as worship and they're passengers instead of drivers. And now we see Jesus' words in verse 18 and how they're contrasted with the disciples' unbelief. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority, all, has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he makes a very important statement there. All authority. And it's an astounding claim that he makes. He says that all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now that claim is baffling for two reasons. First of all, if Jesus isn't who he said he was, it is the most single megalomaniacal... Maniacal. No, a megalomaniac megalomaniac is even worse than maniacal. Um, But absurd works too. Um, Ever said by a human being. Because megalomaniac is power. That's it. It's all power. And it's a false power. Um, to claim if you're, to claim that if you're not God, that all authority in the universe has been given to you is either the statement of a power-grabbing tyrant or a deluded mental health recipient. Or the third option is he's God. And he can make that statement. See, you can't make Jesus into a warm, fuzzy buddy who has some neat ideas on how to make your life better. And as one amongst many great teachers and one of the many great people in world religion. No. This Jesus will not be accommodated to that because all authority belongs to him. And you need to navigate life on his terms, not on our terms, expecting him to bless our terms. Um, Because the word authority carries a wide range of meaning, which includes power, it includes right, it includes freedom and ability. And in the context here, it's best thought of as to rule. Jesus has total authority to rule over all of the earth and over my life. Um, Abraham Kuyper was the prime minister of the Netherlands uh, in the early 1900s, but he was also a reformed theologian. And imagine a president or a prime minister saying this. There is not one square inch on planet planet Earth over which the risen Christ does not declare mine. Um, He has all authority in heaven and earth. Now try to imagine one of our politicians saying that. Okay, he's not getting voted this year. Um, Therefore, everything falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you understand that, and you believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you believe in his love for you, it serves as a great purpose for what comes next. Because Because then he says... Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Why is therefore there? Wherefore the therefore? Why? For two reasons. Number one, 
in light of them worshiping God, they're saying, He is God. And I'm going to worship Him. He's worthy of worship. Second, um, he says, I have been given all authority, therefore you go. Go, therefore, and make all disciples of all nations. This isn't a, just an idea. This isn't just if you feel like it. This isn't after I take care of all of your needs, after I take care of all of your wants, after you get your right job, after you get your right relationships, after you get your education, after you get everything, after life is perfect for you, then go, therefore. It says, go, therefore, because he has all authority and because he is God and you're worshiping him. And so the mission involves multiple elements, but one main thrust. There's only one command in this. Make disciples. How we do that is by going, by baptizing, by teaching. And when you talk about it's making disciples, um, that's our main aim. He said, I don't want people who just make a verbal assent. I don't want people who just have a good look on Sunday. I don't want people who just pretend on Sunday, but live a completely different life for the rest of the week. He goes, I want people who are fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, a disciple. So it's not about membership expansion, not even church growth, but discipleship. I want you to make disciples, and that is what a real follower of Jesus Christ is. Now, I've been in churches where they will talk about membership Sunday. They will talk about these different things. And the whole purpose is to just try to build up their membership roles. Every year, I'm supposed to fill out a report of how many members we have. I'm supposed to fill out all these reports so that somebody somewhere can tally up the numbers. But nobody ever asked the question, how many fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ are in your church? They don't care about that. They just want the numbers. So we solved that problem. When they ask me how many members we have, I put none. Because we don't have membership here. If you're a part of River Valley, you're a part of the family. And we're all members of a universal church. Um, and we worship here. Now, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but uh, there's enough of a rebe rebel in me that when they tell me to do one thing, I find a reason not to do it. And hopefully, I can use, I, it's biblical. Sometimes, I'm not sure. Um, but I do know he tells us to go, baptize, and teach because we're supposed to make disciples. And so the Great Commission is a discipleship mission where teaching and truth produce changed people. And discipleship is not a higher level of spiritual maturity or growth. It is the starting point of Christianity. That's all. That's the starting point of Christianity. The mission is to make people who are radically committed followers of Jesus Christ.
that it's not just a part-time thing. It's a life. It's a sacred act whereby a person, and baptism, first he talks about, we're supposed to go, then baptize. And baptism is so closely linked to discipleship in the Bible that you can hardly separate them. That when a person believes they were baptized, and the reason they were baptized is because it was a public proclamation of what had already taken place, of an inward work of grace. Um, it's a dynamic simple symbol that represents I've committed my life to Christ and I'm standing before other believers going forth into this water to be baptized, to proclaim to all my faith in Jesus Christ and this is where I stand and that others can be, remind me of that. We do baby dedications for the same reason, uh, to help people be reminded of what we are committing, how we are committing to raise our children. So baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He says teaching them. And notice, things, notice two things about this, this command. He says teach them to observe. Teach them to obey. It's not enough to know, folks. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to be intrigued by the intellectual nuances of Christian doctrine. It's not just important to know this is what this says in this situation. What's important is that when the Word of God comes into your life, it impacts you. It changes you. It changes your character so that you are able to say, yes, I'm a different person than I was a year ago because of what Christ has done, because of what the Holy Spirit is doing, because of the Word of God. And this is how I behaved, and now I don't. Now, how many here watch Hallmark movies? How many watch the Christmas ones? That's, that's transformation overnight in a Hallmark movie. Because some guy's living in the city, he goes to the country, and he gets, falls in love with a person, and he gives up his high-paying job in the city to go back and live, and now he's got a heart of compassion. I know it. That's every one of them. Every one of them. Now, it's amazing that that's what Christ promises to do to us if we would allow him. But we would rather watch it on a TV and let it happen to somebody else than to say, Christ, change me. Change my heart. Soften my heart. Heal my hurts so that I can love others the way you love them. See, it's not enough to just know or be intrigued by doctrine or the word. And notice also, it says, teaching them um, all that I have commanded you. You notice the past tense there? Not all that I will teach you. Not all the new theology that's going to happen in 2020. Not all the new belief systems that happened in 2019. Not all the new... The no. All that he has commanded us is set. We don't have to redefine what Jesus has commanded us. It's already there. 
Uh, and also notice he doesn't say, teach them to observe five key points from amongst all my teaching. Teach them to observe four essentials of the gospel. Teach them to observe six major themes of my life. Or seven of those. Or twelve of those. He says, teach them to observe all. All. It's time that we stop picking and choosing that which we are going to observe. And instead say, no, if this is what Jesus said, this is what I need to observe. This is what I need to do. And I may not like it. I may not want to reach out to somebody. I may not want to do certain things. But Jesus didn't say, oh, Andy, when it's comfortable for you. When it's convenient for you. And by the way, you don't have to do these ten things because you got this one down pat. No. It's all. Discipleship is more than getting to know what the teacher knows. It is getting to be who the teacher is. It's allowing him to change you into his character. See, it's not enough to get information disseminated. Truth has to impact a person's life. Um, the goal is life transformation. Um, I've been asked a lot recently, what kind of preacher am I? Some people think I'm an expository preacher. Some people don't. I, I don't think I am. Um, the reason why they think I'm an expository preacher is because I go through the scripture. The reason I go through the scripture is because it's the easiest thing to do. You know, you start in a book and you finish the book. You don't have to wake up every, every week and say, okay, now what am I going to preach on this week? What am I going to preach on this week? It's just easy. I'm going to preach through the book. Um, what? For in two years. Yeah, and I got a two-year plan. I mean, that's not bad. Um, I think a real teacher is concerned about every detail. And for those of, you, those of you who know me, I'm not concerned about every detail. What I'm concerned about is that after every message, a person can ask themselves, what does this mean to me? Am I really worshiping God? Am I truly a disciple? Are there areas in my life where I have to say, no, it's not all, it's what I pick and choose. I'm not going to all nations. I'm only going to the people that I feel comfortable with. I'm not observing everything. I'm not even going. And so those are the things that mean something to me. That when a person leaves, they say, no, I want to grow. I want to go deeper. I want to experience more of Christ. Because by experiencing more of Christ, I know that my life will be better. But not only will my life be better, the life of everybody I come into contact with will be better. And my witness and my testimony will be consistent. And it will be easy for me to make disciples because I am a disciple. So that's the challenge. And uh, Vince and I were talking about that Friday. Friday, about what that really looks like and what that means. 
It means that our orientation in life has to be very different. We have to be careful to remember that our mission from Jesus is not just assimilate to assimilate into culture, to blend in, act like, be like, spend like, look like, copy. So whatever award systems they have in the secular world, we just have the Christian version, but it's all focused on the same thing. Our mission is to go forth and make disciples, plain and simple. Plain and simple. Um, Oswald Chambers said, the simple truths of Jesus are confusing, not confusing. What was it, remember? Yeah, basically, confounding to mankind because we refuse to be simple. But a simple truth is we are to go forth to make disciples. That's not deep theology. It's just what we're supposed to do. If you really understand the gospel, if you really understand the mission of the church, and if you really understand the nature of our culture, if you understand the gospel, understand the mission, understand our culture, then the next thing that comes from Jesus is the most comforting thing that you could hear. Because if you know how anti-Christian a culture could be, you know how difficult our culture is, you know the power of what's going on, you understand that regardless of that, I'm supposed to go forth and make disciples. Then he says, and behold, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you know everything else and you know what the command is and you know that Jesus is with you till the end of the age, that is the most comforting thing that he could give you. Jesus knows what we are like. Even on the mountain Galilee, there were some who were doubting. He knows that we are weak, we're prone to fear, and that's why he came and lived among us, and that's why he gave us this promise. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says to them, in effect, I am with you the whole of every day, all the days until my coming again. The Lord Jesus Christ's promise of his presence is designed to comfort his disciples. And when he left, he gave us the Holy Spirit and said, that comforter is with you forever, every day. I can't imagine more comforting words than that, especially in light of the commission that he's given to us. And I wonder if the reason that we don't often sense his presence is because our heart is not where his heart is. His heart is saying, I want you to make disciples. Our heart is says, I want to be comfortable. You know, two conflicting purposes. So sometimes it's hard to feel in sync with another person when you have conflicting purposes. But when our heart is on with God's heart, then maybe we will sense his presence a little bit more. As someone once said, the gospel isn't something we come to church to hear. It is something we go from church to tell. We're involved in the disciple-making every day on a local level. As people watch our lives, they see Christ in us. If they see Christ in us, there's an opportunity to share faith. If there's an opportunity to share faith, there's an opportunity for them to come to Christ. If there's an opportunity for them to come to Christ, it's an opportunity for them to be baptized. If it's an opportunity for them to be baptized, it's an opportunity for them to come to church, to be taught, to go and get into exile, to get into M3, to come to digs, 
to find out ways to continue to grow in their own discipleship experience and to observe his commands. So then Matthew ends his gospel with not with another command, but a promise. A promise given to those who understand that God's mission is unstoppable. Jesus' lordship is universal, and the mission has to go global. The mission, the Great Commission, is for all of us. And the final chapter of Matthew is still being written today. And each one of us is a part of it. The question is, are we drivers or are we just passengers? Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. I think that you have promised us that we would never go alone. That we are never alone. That you are with us. That you guide us. That you direct us. You empower us. And Father, I just ask that you continue to minister to each one of us and help us to fully understand what it means to be your witness.